Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. And for those of you that are following us online, it's good for me to be with you and for you to be with us. Um, oh, yeah. The table. <laughs> Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for the deep privilege it is for Sandy and me, for us to be here in community with our friends at the 180. And thank you that you have brought these wonderful people again this Sunday to do as we've just done, to lift up your name, and now for us to listen to your word. We would ask that you would free your spirit, first of all, to help us to understand this very, very short passage, but second of all, and most importantly, that we would apply it afresh in our lives and in our families and in our vocations Yes, as followers of you, but in our vocations as human beings. We want to be known as a people who don't try to get something for nothing. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as you know, you're in a series this summer on the Ten Commandments. And we're about this morning to do the Eighth Commandment. And really... What the Eighth Commandment says is that you shall not try to get something for nothing. What I want to do this morning is to move beyond the Exodus 21 commandment, and we'll take it apart to look at it. It's not that complicated. We'll look at the second giving of that commandment in Deuteronomy chapter Five, but I want to do two other things this morning. I want to place the Eighth Commandment in the big scope of God's progressive revelation that leads us to Jesus Christ. And then third, I want us to look at what it looks like for us who want to follow Jesus, how we're going to live this out. Yes, in our vocations as followers of Jesus, but also in our way as human beings. Now, this is a, this is a little bit of a tough subject for us. I realize that um, uh, usually when we think about this passage, uh, there's often that little phrase, well, all of this about stealing, it starts with um, uh, stealing pencils from the office. Now, I, I don't want to denigrate that little statement, But we've got to be more serious followers of Jesus 
in the 21st century than that simple little slogan states. You see, this Eighth Commandment is obviously part of the bigger ten, as they're called in Deuteronomy. They're not called the Ten Commandments in Exodus, but they are called the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. And we want to wrestle with what the two words in the Hebrew say. Now, as you're going to see in just a minute, it doesn't take a lot of exegesis or exposition to understand those two words. Don't steal. I kind of like going to say, what do you don't understand? The first word or the second word? But here, here's why this is, is a tough subject. Um, these two words are part of three of the commandments that you've been looking at that are just two words in the Hebrew. Don't murder, don't adulterer yourself, and don't steal. But when it comes to stealing, here's what makes this subject a little bit complicated. As Don mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm a professor. Um, I work with a lot of undergraduate students, but with an inordinate number of graduate students, both master students and doctoral students, where I have to constantly be teaching and watching for the pandemic of studying and teaching in the age of the internet. It's called plagiarism. But plagiarism isn't just limited to graduate students. Um, I was really glad to see that in our songs this morning, the song had the name of the author on it. Do we steal songs when we sing? Do we steal menus when we download them off of the internet? I don't want to look at that today. Um, this is also a tough subject for pastors. And when we get to the end of our sermon this morning, I want to look at that in a particular way. But this is a tough subject for me. Um, this week as I was preparing, I dug out my file on the Ten Commandments. It, it's a great file. Some of, there's really some good material in there um, that I've often used. And when I was working in one of those files, in the bigger file, I came across this marvelous exposition on the Decalogue. Much to my chagrin, when I photocopied it, I did not photocopy the title page that included the name of the author, the name of the publishing company, the year. So if you're wondering why I don't have a PowerPoint presentation today, it's because I did not want to risk quoting an author, I don't know his name, I don't know the name of his book, I have a vague recollection where I got it. So I want you to know that I've really done my work in the text, but I don't want to be plagiarizing this morning, particularly on this subject. So let, let, let's jump in to um, our three things this morning. First of all, let, let's look at the two passages. Um, in Deuteronomy 20, 20 and verse 13, and in Deuteronomy 5, 9, it's really quite clear. You shall not steal. 
Now, let's remember how we got to chapter 20 in Exodus. There's a natural flow that takes us from the Exodus and the trauma of living in exile, leaving Egypt, beginning that 40-year journey. We're hardly a year into it and all the trauma of crossing the Red Sea, of going through Mara and Meribah, getting manna, and then we come to that point in chapter 19 where God, Yahweh, says to his people, I've kept you under the wings of my arms, and I'm sending Moses up to give you Torah, the law. And then Moses comes down, and we get the first giving of Torah in chapter 20. When Moses repeats that in the second giving of the law, Deuteros, okay, the second giving of Torah, in chapter 5, we learn that it's about 10 commandments. So this text finds itself in a natural flow on the biblical story. Now, there's some things that would be good to remind ourselves that you've heard in this series, but there'd be some good things to remind ourselves. First of all, there are two positive commands amongst the ten. You've looked at those two already. And there are eight negative. And never remember, never forget, always remember. It's a whole lot easier to obey a negative command than a positive command. I'm going to say to you, don't steal. So how do you measure that? Don't steal. Don't as I said at the beginning, don't try to get something for nothing. But if I ask you, honor your father and mother. Honor God. How are you going to measure that? So, so today we're into a negative command. What's interesting about the ten is they're all written in the second person singular. So it's like Moses and then interpreted by the redactor, was saying to those 600,000 people in the middle of the desert, something to each one of them personally. It's incredibly relational, and it's incredibly part of what we call the covenant, the alliance, the pact that Yahweh was creating with his people. And he wanted positive action, and he wanted negative action, or if we will, non-action. That's kind of the background. Now, um, when we try to unpack the two words, the best way to understand them is in the larger semantic field of both Exodus and Deuteronomy. Particularly in Exodus, two things stand out. In the giving of the law in Exodus 21, following the Ten Commandments, the first command is about not stealing animals. You see the relational side to this? Don't take your neighbor's animals. And there are instructions that if you do it, how do you pay people back? So we see how deeply relational this was. But when we get to chapter 20. Uh, also in chapter 21, 
we see that there was a specific command not to kidnap people. And so now, stealing wasn't just about taking somebody's animals, but it was also about taking people's personhood. Now keep that in mind as we work through that today. But like I said, it doesn't take a lot of inductive skill to understand what God through Moses was saying in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. Don't try to get something for nothing, whether it be animals or whether it be other people. But let's put a wide-angle lens on our camera, so to speak, this morning, and let's put stealing in the context of God's bigger project in human history. And let's look at how this unfolds. Now, if you're taking notes, take them carefully, but at the end today, go back and look at the five five tableaus that are there on the back, which depict God's project in human history. And you can think, okay, where does stealing fit into creation? Where does it fit into the fall? You know, where does it fit in to the story of Israel? Where does it fit in with Jesus? Where does it fit in? I'm going to add a sixth of painting for you this morning. Where does it fit into the work of the church and the Holy Spirit in human history? And finally, where does it fit into the city that God is building for you and me today? Okay, let's do this hop, skip, and a jump through the biblical picture. Genesis 1. Start off with the first painting. Creation. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. What does Elohim, God the Creator, say? He said that He had created the human person in the likeness and in the image of Himself. And then He says, let us. So this singular Creator is also part of what you and I call the Trinity. There is a diversity within the Godhead. And He repeats the same thing. In other words, God has given us a human vocation because we're created in His image and in His likeness, male and female. That, what we call creational mandate, is given again in chapter 9. And it's very instructive for us this morning. Because in chapter 9 and verse 16, God says, You shall not murder... And listen to Genesis 9 very carefully. It doesn't say because murder is against the biblical law. Torah hadn't been given yet. And God says you shall not murder because the other person has been created in the image and the likeness of God. In other words, you don't murder because it's against the criminal code of Canada. You don't kill people because it's against God's creational mandate because the other person is created in the image and likeness of God. That's what makes justice, justice. Because it aligns with what God wants. Now, I don't want to murder somebody because I know it's against the criminal code. I'll get myself in big trouble. But the bigger question for those of us that are following Jesus, we don't do those things because we want to align ourselves with God's good intentions since creation. And so although the text in chapter 9 is about don't murder, 
because we're created in the image of God, male and female, then we take this text seriously. It says, don't steal. So the whole picture of God and what God wants is rooted in who God is as the creator and how he created us in his image and his likeness. Now when we get to the, to the second painting and we come to these texts about the fall, we, we understand that the Torah given in Exodus, made more explicit in Le- of Leviticus, um, when, when, we, when we follow it through the second giving in Deuteronomy, we fully understand that Torah is, as Paul said in Galatians, it's a pedagogue. It's an administrator. It's an instructor. And it gets repeated in 1 Timothy. And the point is, is that the Torah is for the unjust. It's not for the just. But it's a teacher. Now let's not move on too quickly here. Because what we need to remember is that even when God gave the Torah, he wasn't giving law. It was an act of his grace. Every Jew knew we were chosen not because of what we did, not because we're obedient. We were chosen by God's grace. We were elected by God's grace. And so the Torah was not about how to get in, but it was how to stay in. And how did you stay in? By not stealing, amongst other things. It was an act of grace. And so this morning, remember, all of these texts in Deuteronomy and in Exodus, it's really God's grace for us to how to live as human beings. Now, when we work through the rest of what we call the Jewish texts, the Old Testament, there are six other passages that deal with not stealing. So this isn't just an isolated text of two words. This fits into everything God had to say to Israel in the Jewish scriptures. Um, If you get a chance this afternoon, read uh, Jeremiah chapter 7, a wonderful text about how the prophets weren't supposed to steal because they were supposed to be an example and a model following God for the people. Now, when we get to our fourth painting, we're into the Gospels. We're into recreation. We're into God seeing that the pedagogue wasn't accomplishing what it was set out to do. So what did God do? God sent a faithful Jew who was faithful to God's person to accomplish God's good intentions since creation. And in the four Gospels, there are seven texts that deal with don't stealing. See, this is not just an isolated commandment. And in fact, it's in the Greek language that we get the Greek word for to steal or steal. is the Greek word klepto, from which we get our word in the English language to be a kleptomaniac, to be somebody who's obsessed with stealing. And three times... In the Gospels, Jesus repeats the Eighth Command. So when we move into the Acts of the Apostles and into the um, Epistles, we get a better idea 
a clear idea where all of this is heading in God's good intentions for humanity. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse 10, part of the people who don't do what leads to piety, as Paul says, are slave traders. Why, this is an echo going back to Exodus chapter 21 and 22. People who steal people are not worthy to be part of God's rule in human history. But look at two other texts where Paul talks about stealing. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. The text is going to come up on the screen for us. Here's what Paul said in that section of Romans where he's expliciting actions for the people of God. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the command, fulfilled the Torah. The commands say, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not cover, uh, covet. And whatever one command may be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of Torah. So what has Paul said? The pedagogue brought us to Jesus. And Jesus sums up Torah, and he sums up our command today. And you get the point that Paul is saying here? Torah is relational. It's about the pact. But now the pact is about love. And so when you steal, it's not just for self-profit, but you're showing very clearly that you don't love. Look, look at the second passage where Paul explicits it. In Ephesians chapter um, 4, verses 25 to 28. Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing, steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And so again, Paul pushes our understanding to see that in Jesus, it's about love, but it's a love for one's neighbors. And so therefore, you don't get angry, you don't give the evil one a foothold, and if you've been stealing, stop it. Instead, work. And that's why I say this morning, you can't get something for nothing. That's what the scriptures are saying. And so when we come to the end of the biblical flow of history as it's depicted in the Holy Scriptures, and we come to the Holy City, and when Isaiah, in Isaiah 65, in Ezekiel 40 to 48, in Zechariah chapter 8, and in the last two chapters of the Christian scriptures in Revelation, there's no mention of stealing. Because in the city that God is creating for you and me right now, there will be no need to steal. Everything will be given to us graciously in who God is. So my friends, this morning... First of all, I wanted to take apart the text. It's not complicated. 
don't steal. But it's explicit such that we understand that it really is about relationships and it's part of God's pact with his people. They fit together. Second, I wanted to put this into the big flow of, of, of God's story. And we see again how all of that comes to fruition when we look at the Ephesians text and we look at the Romans text. But that leads, third of all, what does this mean for you and me? What does this text teach us? Let's begin here with plagiarism because probably the area where it's most easy to steal today is from the internet. And there's not one of us that hasn't taken an idea off of the internet and made it out to look like it's ours for good and for bad. Um, Let me just begin with with academic work here for a minute because I'm talking to a lot of you that are going to be going back to Sejep in the next week. There are some of you that are university students. There are some of you that are are studying part-time. For those of you in the workforce, you understand that you're often asked by your your bosses um, to do research on a subject. Um, you don't. You rarely go to the library. You will go to the internet. The library on the internet. But 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 all of us are going to be trying to understand subjects. I unfortunately, um, as a professor, uh, had to fail a doctoral student because he plagiarized uh, three pages of his doctoral thesis. Now, I realize most students think, well, he said it better than I did, and I don't have a lot of time, so I won't footnote it, and I won't put it in my bibliography, and the prof will never figure it out. Don't forget, profs aren't stupid. And my friends, there are tools that are available to professors that I can find out just about anything you write. Because I can take one paragraph, two paragraphs, I can take a whole chapter of a thesis, I can throw it into a search engine, and I can find out whether or not you are quoting literally, or you are inspired by that author's ideas. The internet for good and for bad. What I found interesting with this student is that his intentions weren't evil. Yes, he was trying to cut corners, um, he didn't think he'd get caught, um, but, but he was just plainly naive. And when I tried to explain to him, there's no problem quoting a source. Just give me a footnote, and for Pete's sakes, put it in your bibliography. This is not an art, this is not a, you know, this is not, you know, high-level science. It's not rocket science. But it, it's the shame. And so, when you are doing this, remember, you're created in the image and the likeness of God. The person that you're quoting maliciously is created in the image and likeness of God. Remember, your professor was created in the image and likeness of God. And so, 
Just do the extra work. Like I said, there's no problem in quoting sources. Just do it the legitimate way. Um, where, where I teach, we have um, a policy on plagiarism. Um, imagine um, two words in the Hebrew language take two pages in English and three pages in French. Okay, because you've got to detail all of this stuff. Um, if some of you ever wrestle with this issue and you don't have good instructions either from your SAGEP or your university or where, in your workplace, come see me. I've got, I've got a really good policy statement on how not to plagiarize. But, but plagiarism isn't just um, for students. Um, I've been in churches that um, raise money by deciding to um, publish cookbooks either online or they actually use the printed page. Um, is the menu that you are submitting for the cookbook, is it yours? What was the source on it? Give credit where credit is due. Particularly if you're using it as a fundraising thing, so therefore you're profiting from somebody else's hard work. To just use that menu at home is no problem because it's, because it's in the public domain. But if you're trying to benefit from it, then all of a sudden you've gone over the line to stealing somebody else's ideas. Um, it, it even goes for singing. Uh, songs that we sing. Uh, the fine musicians here at the 180 don't write all of their own music. But, but they give credit where credit is due. That's because they want to follow the Eighth Command. Don't steal. Um, all of this reminds us that this is not to be legalistic. I often hear from people, oh, Glenn, you're such a legalist. Well, on this one, so is God. But it's about grace in our lives. Now, this subject gets more at home because in my vocation I have had to be part of investigating two pastors in the city of Montreal that were caught for stealing other people's sermons and in both cases both of those pastors were fired one of them readily admitted what he'd done um, I worked with him as we worked through what had happened, how it happened. Um, it was a little bit of a sad story because um, he, he actually had permission from the author to use the material. But when he gave the sermon on his PowerPoints, he didn't cite his sources. And when he created a Bible study guide, he didn't credit the author. Now, he, as we would say, he came clean. Um, but decided um, to fire him nonetheless. The other pastor, he, he didn't even know, supposedly. Um, and um, it was just really easy to find all of his sources. I have another friend who um, was really busy one week. Didn't have time to prepare his sermons. That's usually the biggest reason why pastors use other pastors' sermons. I just didn't have time. Um, and uh, this friend of mine gave this sermon, and at the end, 
one of his elders came up to him and said, Pastor, that was the best sermon you ever did. He said to me afterwards, he said, Glenn, it was like God drove a knife into my heart. And I had to say, I'm never, ever, ever going to do that again. Um, th- this, this one is, is really hard. Because I understand pastors are busy people. And we as churches ask pastors to do a lot of things. But we must never compromise doing the hard work of studying the scriptures and putting a sermon together, putting a message together, putting a lecture together. And under the leading of the Holy Spirit to give it. Realizing that we might be stealing somebody else's ideas. But this is so easy to deal with. It just means cite your sources. Whether it be at the end of the sermon, just say, here's some material I used to mention the author's name and and to explain it. It gets a little bit more complicated because sometimes there's some really good ideas in other people's sermons. Okay, no problem. God uses the church to nourish the church. Just cite the sources. Just don't try to give the idea that you got something for nothing, however brilliant it might be. And this goes if you're leading a small group as well. There's a woman who's had enormous influence in my life on understanding the Ten Commandments. Her name is Joy Davidman. You might recognize her name because she was the wife of C.S. Lewis. I'm giving you her name, I'm telling you who she is, and now I'm going to read what she wrote. She said this, By careful definition, the thief is not only one who steals my purse, but he also steals my trade. The one who underpays me, the one who taxes me for his own advantage instead of mine, The one who sells me trash instead of honest goods and the ultimate form of theft undoubtedly is slaveholding in which denies a man even the ownership of his own body. My friends, do not steal goes to the very heart of our Canadian story. Because my friends, for over a hundred years the government in complicity with churches in the name of God and in the name of mission stole indigenous children from their parents in their reserves and put them into schools to deprive them of their native languages and their native culture. We are a country of stealers. And this is why we must repent. And this is why we must tell our children what we did and how wrong it was so that our children and our children's children will not perpetuate that myth any longer. We were a nation of stealers. And we did it in the name of Jesus and in the name of evangelizing indigenous peoples. The most amazing thing about it is is that our native brothers and sisters didn't turn on Jesus. 
When you look at all of the ethnic groups in Canada, the ethnic group that has the highest affiliation with Christian beliefs, it's not us white folk with European backgrounds. It's not our Haitian brothers and sisters that come from the most Christian country in the Western Hemisphere. It's our indigenous brothers and sisters. They stayed faithful to Jesus. And so, my friends, don't steal. It's not just about me. It's about our country. And it's why we must humbly acknowledge the great evil that was perpetuated. And, oh, perpetuated in the name of Jesus. Perpetuated in the name of mission. And this is why we must repent. So in conclusion, don't steal. Um, But I want to finish, and Michael, you can come up if you want. Um, What should I do if I've stole something? Maybe the Spirit, through the text, through um, his humble servant, has made you think about this this morning. I, I hope that's happened. It certainly happened to me this week. I thought, oh my goodness, um, I better look in my own heart on this one. So, you know, what, what have you done? What, what if you've stolen something? What, you should, what should you do? Let me give you three suggestions. Uh, this can be the application coming out of what other stuff I might have said that might have spoken to you. On this issue... This can get into the fragility of your conscience. And and this is where you're going to have to listen to the Spirit. Don't just listen to the preacher. Don't just listen to the teacher. Listen to the Spirit speaking to your conscience. Um, Do you have something that you tried to get for nothing? Okay, let me give you two examples. This week, uh, my granddaughter was was staying with us. Uh, Eloise is seven years old. And um, uh, Sandy sent us up on our bikes to the Pharmapri right near where we, li- where we live. And um, we had to pick up three things. So I got the first thing, which was for Sandy, put it in my backpack. Uh, went to get another thing for us as a family. A third thing for us as a family, which I had in my hands. Um, I got um, up to the, um, to the cash register, you know, the automatic cash register where you uh, scan the Q code. And I... Uh, scanned the first Q code, I scanned the second Q code, uh, put my credit card in, and was about ready to leave, and all of a sudden I said, Eloise, stop. Um, There's something in my backpack, and I forgot to scan it. You realize how easy it would have been to walk out naively? Now, maybe all the bells and whistles would have rung, I don't know. Um, But I said, okay, get my credit card out, do another transaction for $4.49, for this other item. Um, I didn't want to get something for nothing. Now, that's a question of your conscience. But it got even trickier this week. I guess the Lord really wanted to prepare me to preach on teaching. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a great bagel lover, and so I go to Saint-Vietar Bagel at the corner of Park and, uh, and Saint-Vietar. And um, I ordered uh, a dozen um, bagels of a particular sort. And uh, so they take them right out, of the, right out of the fire pit, put them in a bag, give them to me. And then the woman rang up the amount and, uh, 
and she and you, you, they don't take credit cards there. They don't take Interact. They just take cash. Um, and uh, um, I hope they're not stealing the government. And um, um, and um, and she she gave me a bit, and I said, no, no, no. The bagels I bought were that price there, not the cheaper price. She said, thank you, sir. Why do you do that? And I said, because integrity is really important. She said, isn't that the truth? So you see, my friends, this question leads into your conscience. And so some of you have got a really fine conscience, maybe even a weak conscience. Um, Some of you, you don't even think about this stuff. You know, she wants to charge me less than what they cost. That's her problem, not my problem. Um, My friends, we're followers of Jesus. We're followers of Jesus, and we are made in the image and likeness of God. We won't try to get something for nothing. So the question of, of, of your conscience enters here. But ask the Spirit to give you wisdom on this stuff. What if you've got something and you need to re- make restitution because, um, uh, because you, you got it for nothing? Uh, what should you do? I would suggest that you try to go out of your way um, to return it. Okay, my conscience was at work with it this week. I discovered in my vast library um, that I have four books that I got out of the library um, and I have a vague recollection. Well, I know where they come from because I tracked them down. Um, uh, two from the seminary I graduated from in 1991. Um, and two from another institution that I taught at. I can't quite remember why they were never returned. Um, so what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to make restitution by sending a contribution to those two fine institutions because I've had their books for nigh unto 30 years. Um, but um, because you can be rest assured, those books are now lost in their system. But my friends, because I, I, I want to act as a follower of Jesus. Um, but maybe the most important thing I can say to you this morning, uh, what should I do if I've stolen something? Stop stealing. Now, where did I start? I started with, you shall not try to get something for nothing. You're probably thinking, boy, that's a really good line. Comes from Joy Davidman. I'm not going to steal her ideas. It's a wonderful book on all the Ten Commandments, particularly on this one. So, as we got the music playing, I think the easiest way to end is let me to give you a couple of minutes of personal reflection on the two words in the Hebrew text, but placed in the bigger conscript of God's project in human history with some thoughts about what does it mean not to plagiarize, not to take what's not yours, and how to live, not just as a Christian, but as a human being in this world because we're made in the image and likeness of God who doesn't steal. Let's pray together. Take a minute of silence. Think this one over. And then uh, let me uh, pray for you.
Father, I pray for my sisters and brothers this morning. I pray for those that are online listening to us. Um, these Ten Commandments, thank you that they're not just ten pretty good ideas, but there's things that you want us to practice because we are made in your image and we are followers of you. And so, Father, direct us as we do the introspection, as we do the restitution, and as we walk in the power of the Spirit, because in the end, we want you to get all the honor and all the credit. And we pray this in the matchless name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go before us in your name. Amen. Have a wonderful afternoon. Enjoy the heat. Pray for the rain. Have hey, a nice day. Hey, I want to just uh, say thank you, Dr. Good. Smith. Thanks for sharing. How, how, many, how many sins? Yeah. How many sins did you collect this morning? I got a lot of sins. All I, all I heard is, as you were sharing, I trickled in when you said, like, fire the pastor, and then I tried to run away. <laughs> I was like, what, what's he saying in there? No, but, but I, did, I did catch part of the sermon, and it's such a gift to us that uh, you bring us back to, like, some sacred moments for our nation, for us as a church. And so uh, I want to say thank you for that and for uh, what it means for us as a church. Just You might not know this, but our, our, our church is part of uh, an alliance family of churches, many churches. And we are very serious about thinking about how stealing is more than just, I stole a little thing, but how we've done that maybe in a very complex way. And so thank you for calling us back to that. Let me just pray for Dr. Smith before he's done. Jesus, thank you for uh, the gifts that you've given to your church. And we thank you for Sandy and for Dr. Glenn and for uh, his work in Bible schools, training leaders and helping pastors and also being a gift to us here at the 180. So would you just teach us what it means to be those who take your commandments seriously and remind us that you're a God who is so gracious with us when we drop the ball, that you remind us that your grace is sufficient to carry us, to teach us to ask for forgiveness and to allow you to heal not only our homes, our lives, but even our land. Teach us, Jesus, what it means to honor you in this time. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless everyone. Love you guys. See you soon.